I would extend the question into how have I been complicit in maintaining systems of suffering that I say I don't want? And how have those systems served me? And how do they block the world that I want to see from coming into existence? I ask those questions not to ascribe guilt, but to take responsibility for creating a different world. Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist teacher, says, peace begins with me. I have to resolve these turmoils and conflicts within myself so that I can then stand shoulder to shoulder with others and do the work that the world needs. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. We need a Doug Flutie-like Hail Mary to get out of this. As he said those words, I could see the exhaustion in his face and the weight of the sadness on his shoulders. We were standing in the laundry room of a relatively new home that my mom and her partner Tom shared. And Tom was folding some sheets fresh out of the dryer. I was standing in the doorway. My mom was resting upstairs. And he used this time to give it to me straight. When he said those words, it was like my brain and my body just went empty. And the words just echoed throughout me like a PA in an empty gym. And the shock slowly wore off and reality started to set in. My mom was going to die very soon. And one of the worst fears of my life had in fact come true. And I was in it. The truth is the three to four weeks that followed that comment are still in many ways a blur. I had some really sweet memories from that time that I cling to, such as my mom rubbing my head like she used to when I was a boy, or going on walks with her on some of her favorite trails in the woods, and just talking about life. But there's some really hard moments in there too. Helping her walk, helping her go to the bathroom, watching her close and squint her eyes in the hopes of managing the double vision so she could see the TV or read. But I speak so often of that time, not in spite of the pain, but really because of what that time meant. It was without a doubt, one of the hardest periods of my life. And not only did I survive it, but I thrived in its wake. It can feel trivial or even condescending to tell someone in the midst of extreme adversity that this is a teacher or this is a gift. But both of those are true if we allow it. We cannot choose the adversity that comes our way, nor can we choose to avoid it, but we can always choose how it affects us. My mom's final months, the pain of losing someone I loved so much, opened so many doors in my life. Doors that led to where I am today. And in the midst of the pain came new perspectives, new appreciation, about even the most mundane things of life that I had taken for granted. Being with those I love the most, doing work that energizes me, living a life of meaning, impact, purpose. And like a good trainer, that moment showed me I could endure so much more than I ever thought was possible. It showed me my strength. It showed me my resiliency. It showed me a path to purpose. What a gift indeed. Marcus Anderson is a man who knows adversity all too well. While preparing to deploy with the U.S. Army, Marcus suffered a severe spinal injury where he died twice on the operating table, only to survive and be told he would never walk again. 
And he had a choice in that time to resist what had happened or to accept it, embrace it, even open to it. He joins Jerry on the podcast to tell more of his story and how that injury ultimately was indeed a gift, one that changed his life and led him to purpose. Enjoy. Twenty twenty, the year that has felt like a decade, is almost over. When it's all said and done, what will twenty twenty mean to you? For many that I speak with, and even myself, this year has really been one filled with challenges and unprecedented struggles, situations, and conversations. For some, it's been a catalyst for massive change, changes that they never would have dreamed they could have made. And for others. It's really been an opportunity to slow down, spend more time at home, spend more time doing things they love, and with those they love. And for many of us, it's also been an opportunity to really get more clear about what matters most. It really has been an incredible year, one that has changed the world as we know it. It has the potential to really change us as well if we give ourselves the space and time to reflect and learn from it. For the first time ever, we are happy to offer. Reboot Your Year, a virtual workshop dedicated to help you, in community with other rebooters, reflect and even celebrate 2020, crystallize the lessons that you may have learned over this last year, and really help you to move towards 2021 with purpose and intention. We cannot predict what 2021 will bring, but we can choose how we face it. We hope you'll join us on December 11th at 9 a.m. Mountain Time for Reboot Your Year. To learn more and to reserve your spot, go to rebootyouryear.com. Hey, Marcus, it's good to see you again. Jerry, my friend, it is always a pleasure to see you.、Uh, so, when did we talk last? January second. That's right. That's right. And let's just pause and recognize that the world is very different than it was in January second, eh? My God, six months—it's like a century has passed. Yeah, yeah. And you know, at the at, at the start of our call before the recording came on, I did want to take a moment, and and I noted that I would do this and just recognize that I would not be comfortable, and I think you you were in agreement on this, having this conversation without acknowledging、um, where we are in the country. As humans,、um, as two white men、uh, in this space,、um, I'm not sure when we'll be broadcasting this, but it will be sometime in the future. And、um, there probably be will be some crises that arise between now and then. But、um, let's let's lay the context here, which is we've got the pandemic still going on. We've got a global economic collapse slash certainly reshuffling, and then、um, the language I would use is that long-standing 400 years of systemic oppression is finally um, being um, addressed in a way that.、Um, Certainly has not occurred in a generation, um, and um, there's tremendous pain being expressed in the streets, and、um, 
we both uh, have uh, clients and um, I know that I have uh, black clients who are having one experience and non-black people of color who are having another experience and white clients who are having yet another experience. And so I just wanted to name all that um, as we go into a conversation now and just sort of take a pause and just see if you wanted to say anything with regard to that. It's so true. It's all these things are coming together. Everything's sort of coming to a head around this tinderbox. This is sort of the, the perfect storm for a lot of things that are needing to be talked about for, for years. And with all these things that have led up to it between the pandemic, the economics, and then what happened in this country, the, the travesties, it's important for us to actually look at the elephant in the room and address it now and not just act like it's not there and try to go back to what's normal because clearly that wasn't working before. And this is the time to uh, to do the hard work to take a a look at all the things that are ugly and unfortunate, so that we can try to turn that into something better, so that these things happen to cause a positive change. And these are not just footnotes in history; these are not just things that occur that we try to get past and get on to the next thing. I hear you, my brother. For those of you, those of our listeners who don't really know who you are, um, let's just take a moment, introduce you, and uh, talk about your book for a moment. So give us an introduction for yourself. Yes, as you mentioned, I'm a coach. Um, I, I have a TEDx talk called The Gift of Adversity. Uh, I have a book called The Gift of Adversity, Overcoming Paralysis and Pain to Find Purpose. Uh, lifelong martial artist uh, like yourself in, enjoy the study of philosophy, um, Buddhism, Zen, Taoism, and applying those things to real life. For me, I what I do is I, I coach others, I speak, and I, I try to write to just give them, I want to give them the wisdom that I've absorbed and condense it without them having to go through the hardship and the adversity that I had in the process of doing so. Um, and in my book and in the TEDx talk, I talk about at 38, I sort of had a, an early midlife crisis, I guess. My great uncle was my biggest male role model outside of my father and he passed away and he was in the military. He was in the army. He was a lifer. And I was in chiropractic school at the time. So I've gone through a divorce. A week later, my great uncle passes and I just feel like I'm without a rudder. And I'm wondering why am I doing this? You know, I'm killing myself trying to get through school, trying to set up for uh, this perfect life. But like I say, it's uh, there's what we hope will happen. There's what we fear will happen. And then there's what actually happens in our lives. So that made me really pause and look at what I was trying to do and why I was doing it. And I'd always wanted to join the military and I'd always had a reason not to. And I realized that my window to try to get in was now if I was going to. And uh, inspired by my great uncle's funeral when I was there, they had all the regalia, 21 gun salute, et cetera. 
and I kept everything together pretty well as a pallbearer until they played taps and they folded the flag and they gave it to my great aunt and they thanked her for her sacrifice and that they were sorry for her loss. And, uh, and that's when I fell apart. You know, here's my great aunt. She just lost her husband and yet she's consoling me because I just feel powerless. And that was the big thing that really made me stop and look at my life. And why was I rushing so hard? Why was I pushing? Why was I doing these things for so many other people? And that was sort of my, uh, my ground zero, if you will, to start my journey into myself. Hmm. And, um, your subtitle overcoming paralysis, that's not just a metaphor. It's not, it, you can take it at any level that you would like, but in 2012, when I was preparing to deploy, I was 40 years old and I suffered a severe spinal injury. I ruptured a disc in my neck and it paralyzed me from the neck down. And I went from being this upper echelon shoulder who was preparing to def defend his country to being broke, divorced, bedridden, and paralyzed at 40, trying to figure out what the hell do I do now? I've put all my eggs in this one basket. I have given everything I can to this one purpose. And I felt like I'd been slapped by the universe. Like I'd it'd just been ripped away from me. And now what do I do? And that was really when I had to do that deep soul searching. Uh, again, like we were talking about before with what's going on in our country now, this was not something that I could just ignore and act like it didn't happen to put my fingers on my ears and hopes that it would just la 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 magically go away. And I would just get up the next day and, and go on about my business. This is something that demanded my full attention. And that's what adversity does. It doesn't give you a chance to just act like it's not there. It doesn't take no for an answer. It forces you to examine it. And that was my chance to start unpacking every hardship, every trauma that I had in my life from from my parents' divorce to my own divorce to what I was doing with this, this opportunity that I had and the fact that I wasn't utilizing it for the right reasons or I wasn't utilizing it in the way that I could. And um, being, being paralyzed makes you understand quickly what's important and what is not. It makes you see that um, the amount of money that you have in the bank is just a number on a computer screen. The clothes that you wear and the, the car that you drive and the place you live isn't that big of a deal. Because if you don't have your physical capacity, you don't have a lot. I went directly from denial to anger. Um, but I was angry. I was lashing out at everyone around me, but I was angry at myself because I realized that at 40 years old, I had wasted a lot of my life, or at least at that point, I felt like I had. Because I had kicked around and I had done... I done what a lot of us do. I had done sort of the minimum to get by, or I would just lean into my strengths and not try to really expand my weaknesses like I should have. And it felt like I was, uh, it felt like the universe had given me 40 years to do something. I don't know what it was, but something big. And it felt like I had failed. And so I felt like the universe was like calling in my car and saying, Hey, we gave you 40 years to do something big and you didn't. So we're taking it back. And that was uh, the beginning to really start looking deep and figure out what am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? Where do I go from here? This is what my life's going to be. You know, and, 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 and you know from my own work and conversations we've had outside this conversation and, and 
the talk we did for your show about my book, I'm a big fan of my bastardization of that Zen saying, this being so, so what? And, um, you know, I think you were handed a very this being so moment of what am I going to do with this? And I think, you know, as you tell the story, there was that moment of considering not going on. There was a moment um, of watching way too much Netflix, as you put it. Um, and so how do you go from the universe has sort of called and it's called back its card, if you will, and the recognition that this is this being so, this is your life now. This is not what you expected it to be. To what am I going to do about it? Yeah, you that's when I had to actually look at it and just say, okay, I'm going to try to control what I can control. Mm. And the only thing that I could control at that point was how I breathe. Mm -hmm. And instead of having these very shallow vertical breaths, I tried to go into this meditative deep breathing just for no other reason than that's what I could control. And then you and I understand physiology. If you can take some deep breaths, you go from a sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic, you become more relaxed. You have more options to be able to start thinking your way through this and say, what do I do? What, what's next? For me, when I had that understanding that I had to do something to counteract all the anger that I had, and for most of us, the opposite of, of anger and hate is love, but I really didn't have that because I was sort of isolated. But what I did have was this uh, capacity to try to find gratitude and something like, like legitimate gratitude, not that bullshit gratitude people are pushing, like something really to be grateful for. And where I was, obviously, I didn't feel like I had anything to be grateful for. But what I did was I took myself out of the equation. Like mm -hmm. in Zen, where you take yourself out of that, it's not about me, 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 or I, I, I. And I asked, okay, had I been in Afghanistan, had I deployed, and I'd have suffered the same injury, because I believe that I still would have suffered the injury, irrespective of where I was in the world. If I'd have been deployed, that means that if I'd have been injured, for every one man that is injured, it takes two men to pull him to safety. Mm -hmm. so that means I would have endangered my team. Mm -hmm. I would have endangered another team. I would have endangered a squad. I would have endangered the Chinook that would have had to fly into a hot zone to come get me. And that was the very beginning of this real, legitimate, unbiased, unconditional 360 gratitude where I was just like, holy shit, I am lucky. Not that I'm lucky, but I was lucky that nobody else had been hurt. And that was the beginning of really seeing, you know what, I'm lucky to be able to breathe. I'm lucky that I have this. I want to take a moment and read to you from your own book. What is the gift of adversity? Adversity is a natural law, like the law of gravity. It doesn't care about your opinion when you're trying to lift something heavy. If you can't handle the burden, then too bad. That's not adversity's problem. You see adversity every day, whether you're aware of it or not. It comes disguised as hard work. It may show itself as a huge setback, 
that will stop every inch of progress you have made and even cause you to lose ground. I'm going to skip ahead. Why is adversity a gift? In Stephen Pressfield's phenomenal book, The War of Art, he speaks in depth about the force and phenomena that he deems resistance. He tells how resistance knows you inside and out and therefore knows all your resistance. I see adversity much in the same way Pressfield sees resistance. Adversity is a meaner, more aggressive big brother of resistance. So why do I call adversity a gift? Think of adversity as a challenge that you have no choice but to accept and offer you can't refuse. Adversity is the trainer who sees that you want to give up during the hardest part of your workout, but doesn't let you quit. So there you are, paralyzed. What was the trainer trying to get you to see? The trainer was trying to get me to see that this was my opportunity to, to have courage, genuine courage, not false bravado, not some motivational quote that you put in your head to help you keep going, to look at the fact that this looked insurmountable, that there was no way to get beyond this. And for me, I desperately wanted to walk again, but that ended up being a byproduct of looking at all the other things in my life, all the other stuff that I had tried to step around and circumvent. And that's when I started asking, because there was that guilt that was almost like this, uh, like it, this was karma somehow, like I had done something wrong. But then I realized that that was just part of human nature. I realized that I had, in a lot of ways, squandered some of my opportunities. And I reminded myself that, again, that that was out of my control. The thing I kept trying to remind myself was that there had to be something to be grateful for in any situation. And again, for me, it was about the fact that nobody else had been injured when we deployed. And that was the beginning. And a week after I started having that genuine gratitude, 360 gratitude, I started getting a little bit of feeling back in my hands. Now, it wasn't a lot, but even if that's as far as I got, that was more than where I was. And that was sort of that glimmer of hope that I had. And it changed the way I looked at everything. It looked the way, changed the way I looked at everybody. And it changed the way I was able to apply that in, in every part of my life. What did you feel guilty about? I felt like I hadn't done enough. I felt like it was easier for me to push harder than to step back. It was easier for me to put the gas down than to pump the brakes and really look at what was going on. And for me, this was at 40 years old, the first time that I had to stop everything and look and see it for what it was. This is the first time I had to stop and examine what, what part of that relationship fell apart. What a part of the previous three relationships fell apart. How have I been complicit in creating the conditions I say I don't want? Oh exactly. <laughs> I didn't even know it then, but that's what it was. It was the common denominator of all those things was me. How, how was I trying to save people that didn't need saving? How was I not allowing myself to be saved by people? How was I pushing them away? How was I claiming to have empathy when I was actually having arrogance and hubris? Mm. How was I claiming to be uh, open as a vessel 
and trying to learn more about myself and using that as an opportunity to, to be on this spiritual high horse. Oh, well, I'm more, you know, enlightened than this person, or I know more. And this person just doesn't get it. And if they knew what I knew, they wouldn't feel that way. Mm. I realized that all those things were sort of these, um, I was chasing my tail spiritually in a lot of ways mm. and it made me feel good. But in the end, I didn't really accomplish a lot. That's what was really going through my head. All those conversations, all those um, relationships that I couldn't resolve. All the times I wish I'd said I was sorry. All those times I wish I'd been present physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And so what I, what I hear you doing, just to reflect back, what I hear in their story was that this being so moment, the paralysis forced you literally to stand still, literally to do nothing but face actually who you really were. And um, you could have turned away. You could have turned to anger, but you didn't. I mean, you were angry. Um, there's this base acceptance that your namesake may have inculcated in you. You knew I was going to get there. And that is that, um, well, it reminds me of a, of a quote from one of my Buddhist teachers who long passed before I even began studying Buddhism. And he said um, famously, pain is not a punishment and pleasure is not a reward. Um, and, you know, side note, he said it at a wedding, which... <laughs> Still confuses students, <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's something really powerful in um, and and reminds me your your notion that adversity, like the law of gravity, kind of doesn't give a shit. Uh, you know, um, this happened to you, and this pain happened to you, and. There's something in that moment, I think, of you helplessly giving over to the fact that you are powerless, which then caused, uh, dare I make the observation, a power to arise, which is a different power, not the power to control. Does that resonate at all? Yeah, it it strikes a chord on in every fiber of my being. It mm. in in martial arts there is great power when you have a stronger opponent that pushes into you. Me trying to push back against that opponent on the same plane is the definition of insanity. I can't win. But if I can capitulate, if I can blend, if I can go with that energy, even for a moment, that's my opportunity. That's when I might be able to change the angle or switch or, you know, it, run away, whatever it is. You don't have to win. You just have to survive. And that's what I was realizing. Yeah. The, and, and, and that is one of those brilliant um, 
constructs that in some ways easier to discuss than it is to in the moment live with that, right? Um, because, you know, to, to focus on survival in that moment means you run the risk of extending the pain. Um, which is, you know, counter to the way we're wired, which is to move away from those painful situations. And that was the opportunity. As humans, just like you say, our notion is to get as far away from hardship and pain and adversity as we can. We want to create that distance as soon as we can get away from it. But if we have the ability to stay with it and sit with it when, when the wound's still open, that's when we can figure out what caused it. We can figure out what's in it. We can figure out what continues to cut us or how we cut ourselves. Mm. And that notion is so hard for us to to hold on to for me, because I was in a bed for three months, having to just examine that, having to look daily at that. That's even with having these notions, these philosophical ideals, these seeds in my mind, you know, reinforced all my entire life. It still took me that long to get there. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, it's very easy to talk about it. It's easy to be philosophical about somebody else's headache. We'd like to be the exception to whatever the rules are. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, None of us are exceptions. We all fall down. We all feel pain. We all want love. We all want respect. We all want freedom. And that's what makes us human. And that's why what's going on in this country now, this is hopefully the big wake-up call, the slap in the face that we need, the adversity that will make us all stand up and look and say, this is not okay. This is not something that we can just turn a blind eye to. We have to act, we have to have the discussion, and we have to continue to do that. It can't just go away in the next news cycle. You know, um, I was fascinated by your exploration of the notion of adversity, but I was also equally fascinated by your notions around purpose. And here again, I want to read to you Without purpose, we lack direction. Without direction, our lives simply meander down the path of least resistance. We become controlled by a purely reactionary or strictly pleasure-seeking existence. We're constantly putting out fires and in some ways waiting to be victimized by things we are unable to control. So what's your purpose? My purpose now is to use my pain and my experience to help others get out of that hardship. But I guess the greater purpose for me is to help other people understand that they have a power within them, to understand that the adversity that they're facing is their opportunity. If they're willing to, adversity shines that light on the things that we don't like. It, it, it hastes that weak part of us and we all have weaknesses, but it forces us to really look at the chink in the armor unapologetically and examine it. And that's what we all have to do. That's why all those questions that you have are so brilliant. It forces you to really step back and say, man, what, 
What's going on there? Why am I offended by this? Why am I afraid of this? How is this behavior manifesting in other ways? How does that make me treat myself? What does that do to my internal dialogue? And then what does that internal dialogue make me do for other people? That's the purpose. And again, as a coach, I love how you say, by making better people, you make better CEOs, better founders. And that's what this is. I do it on a broader scale, but when I'm coaching that individual person and they're coaching their teams and they're, they're leading, that's what it is. People say, what sort of coach are you? You can't just say you're a business coach. You can't just say you're an executive coach because they all bleed together. How many times have we talked to people that may be incredibly financially successful, but they have scorched earth around them because they thought that they could just do the same thing they were doing as a CEO to their wife or to their kids. And that's a, that's a very short-sighted mentality. I, I want to disagree with one construct that I think you have, and that is actually implicit in the title of the gift of diversity. I actually think that what you did and what you do is extract the gift out of adversity. And I think that that's linked to the sense of purpose. Um, you know, to go back to what I was saying before, you could have laid there and continued to lay there. You could have been victimized by things you were unable to, be, to control. But instead, you chose a different path. And I actually think that's the gift. It's that choice. Um, and so, you know, I'm playing a little semantic game here, but I think it's an important distinction because what I do not hear in your work, which is an important thing, is a romanticization of suffering. And there is that tendency in the human experience, right? Um, I imagine that what I'm about to say is true. I can't imagine that you would wish upon anybody a severed vertebrae. But, but I think we both wish upon people that they're able to have the capacity to extract something from the experience that reinforces their sense of purpose. Does that align with your thinking? That's, that's absolutely it. It's, and you're absolutely right. There's so many people that will try to take it to the extreme and they say, oh, so adversity is a gift. So I should go, you know, get into a street fight or, or do whatever. Um, that's not the case at all. Um, anything in excess becomes its opposite. The idea is that adversity is inevitable, like we sort of alluded to. So if it is going to be around you all the time and you can't escape it, you might as well get comfortable with it. Not really comfortable, but understand that it is there. So how can I use this? What is this forcing me to look at? And by finding the gift within that, that allows us to now no longer be afraid of it and not live our lives in fear and live in a courageous manner. Because by doing that, that not only helps us, but it emboldens others to do that. You know, 
I, I often will say to folks that Nietzsche's infamous quote, that which does not kill me makes me stronger, is not a prescription. <laughs> it is a description. Um, the um, So let's talk again about the times that we're in. And um, there's a tremendous amount of adversity right now. Some folks listening to this may be unemployed. Some folks listening to this may have lost a loved one to disease. Some folks listening to this may have had their minds finally opened to the suffering of black Americans that have been going on since 1619. Some folks listening to this may be confronting the pain of seeing the ways that they have been complicit in maintaining systems of oppression. And some folks may be experiencing the pain of having to deny all of that and not wanting to look at that. I don't know the answer to my own question, which is always a dangerous thing. When I was a reporter, we didn't do that. But I'm curious to know, what is the purpose, what is the gift that someone who may be suffering right now can extract? Um, and, and I don't mean to put you in a position of, of prescribing something that is universal or general. So maybe let's make it personal. What are you taking from this experience of the dumpster fire that is the world right now? There's so much going on, clearly. For me, I'm trying to find where is the opportunity within this? Mm -hmm. What is this making us do? What conversations is this forcing us to have mm -hmm. with ourselves and an internal dialogue and with others? And then what actions can we take to change these things? Mm -hmm. That's the way I'm trying to look at it. That's the, the gift in this adversity. We've had things happen in this country for years. How many more times does it have to happen? Mm -hmm. How many more people have to lose their lives? How many people have to be in economic ruin? How, how much of this has to happen? This is the thing that will, this is the catalyst that can change, that can turn the tide. This is the first domino that can fall, that can create a huge positive change, a huge tsunami of positivity, if we so choose. But if we try to act like it's not there, or if we feel good about it because we talk about it for a week, and then we try to go back to what we were doing before, that's not really causing a change that's lip service at best. And that may make you feel better, but the people that really need our help won't feel any different at all. I hear you. You know, for me, one of the ways that I have come into relationship with the suffering that exists right now is to be mindful of the self-aggrandizing aspect of guilt and 
depend upon and rely upon the liberation from that inquiry process, I would extend the question, for example, that I often ask, how have I been complicit in creating the conditions I say I don't want? Into how have I been complicit in maintaining systems of suffering that I say I don't want? And how have those systems served me? And how do they block the world that I want to see from coming into existence? Um, I ask those questions not to ascribe guilt, but to take responsibility for creating a different world. And um, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist teacher, says, peace begins with me. Um, I have to resolve these turmoils and conflicts within myself so that I can then stand shoulder to shoulder with others and do the work that the world needs. And so for me, what I'm trying to extract from this entire experience is a reinforcement of that notion. Whether it's, it's the glaringly obvious expression of racial injustice through the murder of innocent people or the economic inequality so prevalent and demonstrated in, for example, the disparate experience of COVID, where if you have money, you're likely to actually survive it better than if you don't. To the challenges around power that are so obvious. That's, that's what I'm trying to extract from it. I absolutely agree. There's, this is the opportunity to, just like any sort of conversation, if I am just listening to wait for my turn to speak, I'm not really listening. If, if you look at empathy, it's spelled very similar to empty because we have to empty ourselves like, like we're emptying that teacup. Mm-hmm. to be able to be there for that person to listen to them and to see what's really, what they're really saying, what they really need. Mm-hmm. That is the whole goal of this. The whole reason why Socrates was so intelligent allegedly was simply because he says, I know that I do not know. Mm-hmm. So instead of me trying to say, well, you're saying this, well, here's my counterpoint to that. Why don't I just be present? Why don't I just do, as you mentioned on my show, why don't I just show the fuck up for this person and be there for that person and listen to that person implicitly with no expectation just to hear what's really going on and challenge what I might believe I've thought that this has been for so long. Maybe, just maybe, that's the beginning. And this is the huge opportunity to do that if we so choose. Amen, brother. Well, last question I'll ask you, uh, how's your health now? Uh, the health now, I'm uh, fully recovered, I guess you could say. I still have numbness from the middle of my forearms to my hands and the middle of my chins to my feet, but I actually, um, I'm actually grateful for that because it reminds me, it keeps me tethered to what I've gone through. Um, I still practice martial arts. I still stay physical as a way to help me get stronger in my mind. And I've also realized that uh, with, with meditation and all those other practices, it is a practice and all mm-hmm. these things 
overlap. And those are those universal truths that keep me honest and hopefully keep me in a position where I can continue to help more people for as long as I'm here. Mm. Well, bless you for doing that. Thank you so much, Marcus. And, um, you know, thank you for writing the book. It's just an honor to get to talk to you. Um, I love our time, learned so much from you and it's an honor to be here. And the book was, uh, something I had to do and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm just honored that it's going to help people. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Anxiety is something that so many of our clients, and many of us here at Reboot, certainly myself included, have struggled with. Wanting to shed some light on how to free oneself from the grip of anxiety, we teamed up with Josh Roman, COO at Clarita's Mind Sciences, and Dr. Judson Brewer, who some of you may remember as a previous guest on our podcast. And with their help, we are excited to bring to you our newest self-guided email course. Over the course of five days, you'll spend some time differentiating between stress and anxiety and exploring how those work in the brain. You'll focus on the root causes of your anxiety and equip yourself to better understand how and when it shows up for you and what to do about it. We hope you'll join us for this rich learning experience so you can begin to shift out of it more easily, quickly, and harmoniously. To learn more and to sign up, head to reboot.io slash anxiety.